Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 25th day of April 2014. And today we are reading from the Big Book. We're in the chapter, We Agnostics. We are on page 53, and we'll be starting the first paragraph, Logic is Great Stuff. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Heidi, 12 Traditions, Julie R., and then Kim, Sharon R.S., Lauren S., and Hoodie. The share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 24th day of April, is 6227, 6227. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Heidi to please read the 12 steps. Oh, you bet. I'm happy to. My name is Heidi. I am a gratefully recovering compulsive overeater in Denver. And here are our 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand Him, praying only for the knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Heidi. And I will now ask Julie R. to please read the 12 Traditions. Hi, this is Julie R. in California, recovered compulsive overeater. 
One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the next compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Julie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute and once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star 1 to mute your phone in order to have a quiet meeting. Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today, we're resuming our study of the big book. We're in the chapter, We Agnostics. We are on page 53, and we're on the first paragraph that begins, Logic is Great Stuff. And I am going to ask Kim if she would start us off this morning. Thanks, Monica. Logic is great stuff. We liked it. We still like it. It is not by chance we were given the power to reason, to examine the evidence of our senses, and to draw conclusions. That is one of man's magnificent attributes. We agnostically inclined would not feel satisfied with a proposal which does not lend itself to a reasonable approach and interpretation. Hence, we are at pains to tell why we think our present faith is reasonable, why we think it is more sane and logical to believe and to not believe. Why we say our former thinking was soft and mushy when we threw up our hands in doubt and said, we don't know. And good morning all. My name is Kim G and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I love the way they say our former thinking was soft and mushy. 
you know, I, we've talked a lot about in this chapter about what our former thinking is, you know, that we had faith in, th- we've always had faith. We had faith in, in our, our ego. We had faith in reason. We had faith in our old prejudices, you know, that our, that our old thinking got us to a place where we were crawling into a room called Overeaters Anonymous. You know, that we could see God in the sunset, but we couldn't see God helping us with our problems. You know, that, that self-will worked up to a certain point, and then it didn't work. You know, even in Overeaters Anonymous, there were things that I, w- I was taught that worked for a time. You know, meetings worked for a time until they did it. A food plan worked for a time until it did it. Putting all my eggs in one basket on a certain sponsor worked for a time, and then it didn't. And finally, when I got pummeled enough by the food, I threw up my hand in the air and I said, I don't know. What I am doing isn't working. And I am being approached by people who have solved their problem. They no longer are tortured by food thoughts. They are no longer in the vicious cycle that is described in the doctor's opinion. I think personally the three most powerful words I learned in Overeaters Anonymous is I don't know. There's a speaker that I love that says, it's not what we don't know that will kill us, but what we know for sure that isn't true that will kill us. So we're getting to the point that we're just acknowledging from yesterday's reading that our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. I am convinced at this point that my ideas didn't work. And I'm holding out all hope that you are telling me that the God idea worked. And what I'm watching in you is something that I wish I could have for myself. So I need to put away all those old ideas. I need to put aside those old prejudices, those soft and mushy thinking, and be opened up to a new way of thinking. And just being open to it isn't enough. I love the idea. We always talk about willingness, willingness, willingness. Willingness without action is fantasy. We need to put action in there. So is this crushing of my ego, the crushing of the way that things have worked for me, am I now willing to take different actions? Whether or not I truly believe it or not, am I willing at this point to take action even if I don't quite understand or don't quite get what this higher power is? Is my need, my need for a higher power great enough that I'm going to be willing to take action so that I can get the results that these recovered people are telling me is going to ha- has happened for them? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Jackie. I'd like to share. Jackie, go ahead. Yeah, I really like this um, paragraph, and I, I particularly like the part where it talks about the um, why we say our form of thinking was soft and mushy when we threw up our hands in doubt and said we don't know. I know for myself, I believe, but I didn't practice the faith. Um, I didn't know how. And um, for a while, I, I, I sponsored myself for a long time. And then I finally learned that which is like unto itself is drawn. And what that means, my thoughts had to change. I had to align myself with 
a power greater than myself that where I can be aligned with that thought and let my non-physical part and the thoughts align with it, my soul, my soul. Take take on a, a change in the way you think because nothing works for me works for me as long as I was doing things on my own. And I particularly like that saying, that which is likened to itself is strong. When I changed my my mushy and soft way of thinking, everything changed. And when it changed, it changed for the best. And I'm happy today. And I'm happy today uh, because I made the change. And uh, I can really tell the difference now from the way I talk, the way I think, the way I act. And... Uh, there's another saying that said, when you see stupid coming across the street, if I'm trying to stay aligned with the God of my understanding, I can't let negativity get in the way of how I'm going to react for today. So that which is like unto itself is strong. I try to think on a positive basis so that I can stay aligned with the God of my understanding. And with that, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Jackie. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Jenica. I would like to share. Jenica, go ahead. Hi, I'm Jenica. I'm a compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania. And um, I love this chapter, We Agnostics, because even though I grew up in a religious school and um, have been religious all my life and believed in in God, um, I honestly think that I did not know any more about how to live my life than anyone who would call themselves agnostic or atheist. And it is in the program of Overeaters Anonymous that I have learned how to live my life and how and that I have learned to rely on a power greater than myself. I'm really going through a process right now where I am letting go of the subtle ways that I control my own life. And um, right now it, 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 I'm focusing on getting enough sleep. I have become aware that I attempt to control my day. I attempt to make my day a good day, like a guaranteed good day, by getting up early and having a specific routine. Now, that's not a bad thing. The only thing is that I will do it no matter how much sleep I've gotten the night before. And um, and it doesn't guarantee me a good day. And um, I've been in the program now for for about four months, almost five. I came in in January. And this is, I'm coming back. um, And I'm starting to wake up to the fact that getting up super early and following a very specific routine, no matter what, um, is my own attempt to control my life. And it is not, and I need to take one day at a time and ask my higher power, what is my higher power's plan for today? And in that way, I can feel my higher power working in my life. I'm living in today instead of having some great idea about how I think things should go. Um, So 
I think I could probably talk about this for a long time, but I'm gonna I'm gonna end there. And I just appreciate the reading this morning. It's great to focus on uh, on this type of thing first and first thing in the morning. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, Janica. This is Leah. Leah. Hi. Good morning. I'm Leah, a compulsive overeater, and very grateful. And what I find in this paragraph is that um, I don't want what I had wanted in the past when I had uh, read this is that I don't want you to un- unleash or know my insecurities, my um, resentments. So that was the reason that I wanted to validate whatever I know and whatever I think and whichever way I go and whatever I do. And then when I couldn't control my weight and I couldn't control my food, and I couldn't control so many things. And mark my words, I'm constantly using the word control, control. That's when I said, you know what, something is not right. Something is just not working. And, of course, eventually, when I had that vital um, psychic experience, that's when I started to change. But, but this is what the uh, paragraph is teaching me, that... In the past, I had not wanted you to know my insecurities. I didn't want you to. I put forth my my all so that you know that I am good and I am I am just the way it's supposed to be. And this brought me to humility. And um, thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Leah. And this is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overreader. So here we are in the chapter, We Agnostics, meaning, you know, we without knowledge. And this whole chapter is, is teaching us or trying to get us to um, think outside the box, whatever box we've been boxed in, uh, to try to get us to um, be willing to think about new ideas, new things, set aside our old ideas, our old prejudices. So they're saying logic is great stuff. Well, what is logic? And it's power to reason, to examine the evidence of our senses and to draw conclusions. And that's what this whole chapter is about, is trying to get us to open up a little bit and examine the evidence that they are putting out in front of us here Because the bottom line is, Monica, how's that working for you? How's your way working for you? You know, my way was absolutely not working. Anyway, anyhow, after decades of trying. So they're saying, okay, are you willing to to use a little logic here to examine what we're having to say, what we're showing you all, and maybe come up with, be willing to think some new ideas? And, you know, and how, how is it they know this stuff? It's through experience. You know, the first 100 recovered who wrote this book, they're telling us here their experience shows this. If you are willing to do this, to work these steps, their experience shows that you will get a spiritual awakening. And, um, and they're saying, you know, you don't have to understand all of this, but be willing to 
be willing to believe that there's something greater than you because we are powerless. And we read that in the page before there and those bedevilments. You know, that unmanageability of my life, that spiritual sickness, that cancer of my soul, where I continued to do the things I didn't want to do and I could not do the things I wanted to do. I was in the corner. So am I willing here to think outside the box a little bit? Am I willing to try a new experiment here? And um, with that, I'll pass. And was there anybody else who'd like to comment? This is Dana. Dana. Go ahead, Dana. This is Dana B. I'm from Colorado. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I would like to address the issue of our former thinking was soft and mushy. I also came from a background of uh, religious training and faith and whatnot. And as someone stated a couple of days ago, I found myself uh, without access to the power of that belief. And um, just as two examples of that, um, one of the things I was told was that I should confess my faults. But until I did the steps, I didn't know about looking at my resentments, looking at my fears, and and looking at at my particular part in in these faults. Um, Also, I was told that I should pray all the time, but I wasn't told that 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 should relieve me of the bondage of self, as the third step prayer states. And also in the seventh step prayer, when it talks about um, asking asking our higher power to take our defects, I wasn't told those specifics, and that's what I learned in the steps, and that's why I needed the steps to access that power. And before I had the steps, my faith was soft and mushy, and I find that these things have broadened broadened my faith and and changed it. So um, that's all I wanted to say. Thanks. I pass. Rochelle? Heidi? Hello, this is Rochelle. Sharon? Okay, I'm sorry, I was muted and didn't realize I was muted. (laughs) Okay, I was thought we were moving on to the next paragraph, but I've heard some voices. Uh, I think I heard a Heidi... And I heard someone else. Rochelle. Rochelle. Okay, Heidi and then Rochelle, and then we are moving on to the next paragraph. Go ahead, Heidi. Thank you. I'll keep this brief. My name is Heidi. I'm gratefully recovering in Denver, Colorado. Just uh, want to talk a minute about soft and squishy. I can so relate to that. Um, growing up, I, I wasn't looking inside myself for any understanding of a higher power I was looking externally. I was looking at world history. I was looking at examples uh, that I might see on TV of, of people who uh, claim to understand God or or maybe people who went to church on Sunday and then I knew them in school or at work on Monday. And I was basing my belief system on external things. In retrospect, that seems very squishy because it had nothing to do with my own understanding or experience really wasn't until I became willing to have my own personal understanding, my own personal experience, that really began to shift and change. So glad that I 
open myself up to this program and to that willingness to understand and grow in this way so that my thinking today doesn't at all feel soft and squishy. I have a knowing, and for that I'm very, very grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Heidi. Rochelle, you're next. Good morning, everybody. I'm just so impressed by this book. Uh, I've read it a number of times, but it's not until we go through it line by line that it really, really hits home. So I thank everybody, and especially whoever whose idea it was that we should have a vision for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I like how this paragraph starts. Logic is great stuff. But look at how it ends. We don't know. I mean, that's magnificent. We We start out thinking, hey, you know, I could just reason this along, and I could figure it out myself. Uh Uh-uh. It concludes, we don't know. So I think it's really, and it's it's perhaps difficult to to articulate this, but we're able to look at the starry sky and say, who then made all this? But we then don't turn that into a mirror at ourselves saying, who then made me? You know, because our higher power gave us the ability to think. So it's like a real big challenge. Uh, wait, wait a second, what do you mean I can't figure this out? I could do this. I could do almost anything. But no, I've got limitations. The limitations are the God idea. Where does the God idea come in? It's sort of like a game when you suddenly realize, wait a second, I'm part of a whole. I'm not in this by myself. No, God created me with limitations and abilities, and but where did I get all that? Just like that starry night, once I realized that, it's, that's when the humility can come in, and that's when we're ready for the great idea, and that's when we're able to just step aside and say, wait a second, what does my higher power want me to do? And when we're willing to have that humility, it's just like a different world. I've got ideas that come to me that, that I would not have had if I was stuck in Rochelle. So I just want to thank you, and I really I am so impressed. I pass. Thank you, Rochelle. And let's move on. Sharon? R.S., can you read the next paragraph, please? Star one to unmute, Sharon. Good Good morning. This is Sharon. Uh, thank you, Monica, and thank you all to, uh, who are on the line this morning. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? I'll just stop with that short paragraph since it pops out of the book because I have it uh, highlighted with three different colors and also underlined with a couple different colors. This is a very, very powerful paragraph as well as a very important one. What initially stands out is this statement, a self-imposed crisis. Now that was very uh, uh, surprising to me that they were calling alcoholism or in my case, our case, food addiction or food compulsive overeating, a self-imposed crisis. I that when I at first approach was shocking to me that someone would think of my condition as self-imposed. Certainly, I didn't choose this. I didn't sign up for it. Didn't want it. Don't want it. And would would like to have a different life than one of uh, 
being in my in my room, sitting in my living room with the curtains drawn in darkness, eating, just eating food, and and really having uh, very little relationships with people. Food being my primary relationship, my primary thought, my primary obsession uh, was food. I didn't. Did I really choose that? And but I came to realize that by accepting that it was self-imposed, if it was indeed self-imposed, then it was something that I could do something about. As long as I believed that it had happened to me, and that somehow this had was brought upon me by some outside force, then I didn't have much power to control it. But in accepting that I had that I had done this to myself, I chose to shovel food in, to close the curtains, to obsess. I chose that. And when I accepted that it was my choice, then I could choose to do something different. And I got to that point because I was hopeless and helpless. I was killing myself. I was in despair. And it was the choice of was I going to not be able to take care of my children? Was I going to just kill myself in a slow and very, very painful way? Or was I going to accept that there was a different way, a better way? And here it says we had to fearlessly face the proposition, the idea, the proposal, that either God is everything or else he is nothing. Now, for me, that first decision wasn't about a big God out there. It wasn't about the God of my faith, the God that I believed in when I went to church or when I read religious materials. For me, it was that God was in the rooms, that God was on this phone call, that God could break through my despair and find a way to help me even when I didn't know how to get help and what to do next. That was the proposition, that God, whoever, wherever, was great enough, big enough to break through my defenses, to break through my thinking patterns that had gotten me into this horrible place, that somehow God could and would help me. And when I sat in the rooms and I heard the message presented by this book, being spoken by people who were getting recovery. You could see it in the light in their eyes. You could hear it in the words in their mouth. That was the breakthrough for me. I had to accept the proposition that what these people were saying had value, was valid, and could very possibly work for me. That was God. It wasn't a big force out there. It wasn't an understanding of, a, of someone in a book or that people that uh, in a religious organization. It was the proposition presented through this book. 
Are, is it possible that God can speak through the people who have gotten recovery speaking through their mouth to me? Is God something? Is he nothing? Or is this solution being presented? God's message to me personally. And I decided in my despair that God loved me just enough, maybe even more than I loved myself, but that God loved me enough that he would speak through people in the rooms of OA, through the phone, through these communications, and that that was God to me at that moment. And my choice was to be, was I going to accept it completely or was I continue, was I going to continue to rely on the thinking patterns that had gotten me into the mess I was in? Either God is or he isn't. Either my thinking is right or it is wrong. And for me, I chose to not believe my own thinking anymore and to accept the propositions laid out in this book, presented to me by people who were getting recovery. I accepted it 100%. You tell me what to do. I will not accept my own thinking. And from that moment on to this, it's been over 12 years. I have not taken a bite, a compulsive bite since then. And I have grown amazingly and tremendously. And I am grateful that I made that decision. And with this, with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Katie G. from Boston. Katie G., KDF. go ahead. And then Katie F. Go ahead, Katie G. Good morning, G. Monica. Oh, sorry, thank you. Good morning, Monica. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you to everyone on the line. And um, thank God for sponsees, too, right? We were just I was just talking about this with my sponsee, and um, this is just one of my favorite paragraphs in the book. And, you know, my sponsor and I were sitting there. We were at step two, and, and what does it mean to become an alcoholic, to become a compulsive overeater? And for me, that meant to, um, to surrender and to accept what was being um, given to me, what I was being taught, that I have this disease, that I have an allergy of the, the body and a, an obsession of the mind. And what we talked about, my sponsor and I at that time, you know, I was crushed. I was pulverized. I was beaten to a pulp by a self-imposed crisis that I could not postpone and evade. Like, it was in front of me. I had no other choice. There was no, there was nothing else, no other alternative for you, Katie. And I couldn't postpone it or evade it as a sober woman, as an abstinent woman. I was, you know, I, I read these first um, 63 pages with my sponsor, and when I got to this point, I was completely devastated. I had seen the wreckage of my life when I had, you know, no power, choice, or control over the food, and I kept going back. And when I had no power, choice, or control over my selfishness, my dishonesty, my self-centeredness, and my fear because I kept going back to the same behaviors that were killing me, that were destroying my relationships, that were destroying my bank account, that were destroying any professional opportunities that I could, that I, that I could have, right? Like nothing was working, and I was completely crushed, and I loved, I loved this verbiage. And my sponsor said to me, all right, Katie, 
is God everything, which my sponsee taught me this morning, everything, all things. He's in the air. He's in the water. He's in the moment. He's in my breath. He's everything, all things. Or is he nothing? No single thing. Like, this isn't take what you like or leave the rest. This isn't a buffet. This is everything. He's everything, and he's the reason I'm sitting here, the reason I'm talking, the reason I'm breathing. Or he's absolutely nothing. And she said to me, is God, God is or is he not? And what is your choice going to be? And at that point, crushed, devastated, I, ha- I had to say, all right, God is. I don't know, uncle. I don't know. And um, I love that the previous speaker shared. Those are the most important words that I, that I say every day. And I still come back to this, right? Because, like, I'm going. I'm living a recovered life today. Thank you, God. Food is, you know, neutral for me. I'm I have a wonderful, amazing life that God has given me, and then something comes up, right? And I'm like, what's going on? This isn't going the way JDT wants. And and I get to come back to this, and you all remind me through my 10th step and my 11th step at night, Katie, God is or he he is not. What's your choice going to be? And thank you, God, that's such an amazing way to look at my life today. It's like, yeah, even when the tire, go, the tire goes flat, the house has problems, there's a $300 heating bill, you know what, God, either is or he isn't. What's my choice going to be? You know, and I have that shift in my attitude. But when I was crushed by a self-imposed crisis, when I had finally just become a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety, the only way for me to really make that choice that God was everything was to go through with the rest of the steps, to take step three and then learn what my thoughts, my will, and my thoughts and my actions are through step four through nine, right? Because I saw my selfishness, my dishonesty, my resentment, and my, excuse me, my fear, and I could identify it, right? And then it's like, okay, I understand who I am. God, clear me out. Clear me out. You're everything. Um, you know, so I had to continue on with that action. So if you're new, this is a process that works. If you're, um, you know, recovered from this hopeless state of mind and body with me today, thank you for your service every day. And um just grateful to be here and have the opportunity to live multiple lives in one lifetime. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. And now, Katie F., you're up. Um, well, I have this, this is Katie F., a recovered compulsive reader in Virginia, and I, too, have this whole paragraph highlighted. Um, and I just want to focus on this part. Uh, we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade. Um, so this is, you know, incorporating step one with step two, that, okay, we've gotten to the point where we admit we're powerless over over food, and our life is unmanageable. So we're used to that. We're used to that crisis mode. We're used to that, um, you know, I like to think of it as, you know, walking on the side of a, a road and all of a sudden we, you know, fall into a pothole that is, you know, an abyss that it, it just keeps going down and down and down and down. And that's what happens to me when I pick the food back up that I am now in this crisis mode where I cannot, you know, it's like a mudslide or, a, um, you know, just something that it's, it's not uh, quicksand, it's, it's called, you know, it's not something that I can just get out of by myself. So if that's the way it is, then I have to believe that a power greater than myself is going to restore me and you know, we fearlessly face the proposition, proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. 
So I'm putting down the food uh, is the first thing we have to do. And then what do I have? You know, I'm used to living in this crisis mode, putting out one fire after the other and going from, from, you know, drama to drama. That's the way I lived my life. You know, there was always something, always something going on. And now when something is going on, I have this spiritual toolkit to use that, you know, I pick up the phone and say, I don't know. I don't know to ha- how to handle this new situation that's come into my life because I'm no longer living these familiar vicious cycles of I lost 50 pounds, now I gained 60, now I'm back in the food, I'm in a coma, I can't, you know, I don't return calls and all those things that were just repeated over and over and over again. Now I have this new life and I have new problems. I have grown-up problems. Uh, yes, we like to call them um, a higher class set of problems, but, you know, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're ugly things that happen in our lives because we get older and we get sick and we, you know, your friend has cancer and you don't know what to say. Your friend, someone dies and you don't know how to, what to say. And, you know, all these things that I used to numb out. I didn't know how to deal with life. I just numbed out and I, I was, you know, not available emotionally. So now I look at my life and I say, okay, God, we're in this together. Take my hand and lead me through this new situation that I don't know what to do. Guide me to the right person to call in my network who's going to help me through this, you know, problem with my kids or problem with my neighbor or problem with work. You know, God direct me. God direct my life because either he is everything or he is nothing. And, you know, am I going to put my faith back into the Doritos or am I going to put my faith in God? That's my choice on a daily basis. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't have problems. I don't have to, you know, go to the grocery store. I don't run out of food. I don't forget something. I don't, you know, uh, overextend myself. But God is either everything or he's nothing. And he leads me through and I learn more little by little, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one meal at a time. And he's everything. And I don't have to go back to that quicksand. And I'm so grateful. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Sally. Sally. Sarah. Is there another person? Okay, Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. This is Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. This paragraph is um, just a marvel because it really is like step one is taking hand, taking the hand of step two. When I uh, read this word crushed by a self-imposed crisis, I um, am literally catapulted back, back to the age of 22 laying on the floor in my kitchen, crying to God with a two-year-old and an eight-day-old son and remembering how I had finally reached such a bottom, crushed, knowing, oh my gosh, I can't get out of this. I, I cannot reason my way out of this. I cannot diet my way out of this. I cannot figure out the way out. I am a food addict. And I didn't know that anybody else had this problem or or um, or that it was even recognized by anybody on the planet besides me that I was just like an alcoholic 
but it was food. And as I laid there on the floor in my kitchen at the age of 22 years old, I was truly at bottom. It was one of many bottoms that I would experience in the next 31 years in OA. But I was crushed by a self-imposed crisis. I was at the very bottom of a barrel. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to look to. And when I read this, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. I think to myself, but I, I thought I had God. I was a religious person. I was a person who was a dedicated person. I was reading lots of morning devotionals and praying emphatically. And I, I thought I was going to God. So why didn't this work for me? And um, I want to read page 32 from the 12 and 12, which really speaks to who I was, who I am, and um, I think will shed some light on this for anyone else out there who, who believed that God is everything um, and yet still was crushed. It says here on 32 in the 12 and 12, written by the same um, people who wrote what we're reading here, Valiantly, he tried to fight alcohol, imploring God's help, but the help doesn't come. What then can be the matter? To clergymen, doctors, friends, and families, the alcoholic who means well and tries hard is a heartbreaking riddle. To most AAs, he is not. There are too many of us who have been just like him and have found the riddle's answer. This answer has to do with the quality of faith rather than its quantity. This has been our blind spot. We supposed we had humility when really we hadn't. We supposed we had been serious about religious practices when upon honest appraisal we found we had been only superficial. Or going to the other extreme, we had wallowed in emotionalism and had mistaken it for true religious feelings. In both cases, we had been asking something for nothing. The fact was we really hadn't cleaned house so that the grace of God could enter us and expel the obsession. In no deep or meaningful sense had we ever taken stock of ourselves, made amends to those we had harmed, or freely given to any other human being without any demand for reward. So that particular chapter in the 12 and 12 is talking about step two. And here, when we read this paragraph, we became alcoholics, crushed. All of us have experienced this bottom by a self-imposed crisis that was our reasoning skill didn't work anymore. Our intellect, our logic, it wasn't going to cut the mustard and we figured that out. That much we knew, that we couldn't fix this. We could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that we needed God, that we were not enough, but that there is someone who is more than enough. God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? That's the challenge. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Sarah, you're up. Good morning. This is Sarah, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you know, this really is the big book in essence, this, this paragraph to me. Um, 
think the thing that comes into my mind is, you know, the second step is really my favorite step, but I think this is catapulting us into the third step, you know. It's it's really starting to talk about the idea of are we willing to trust? And um, a long time ago, I learned that the acronym for... for um, for trust is try really using step three. And um, the idea that, um, you know, most of us have come from a place where we didn't trust ourselves, we didn't trust other people, and we certainly didn't trust this power greater than us that had, in some ways, we felt, or I felt, had forsaken me. You know, where were you during all this stuff? How come you let this happen? Why me? You know, that kind of attitude. And um, I think, you know, I had to be, you know, in prone position, which means face down and not, you know, almost like incapable of getting myself up, you know, completely paralyzed in that position to get to the place where I was willing to say something's got to help me. You know, something has to be there. And if I really look back over my life, you know, all along something has been there and what I've done is turn away. And I think every time I've picked up um, any kind of addictive behavior or substance, you know, it has been me saying, you know, I don't want to feel anymore and I don't believe there's anything there and I'm just going to do what I want. And so, you know, today what I can say is, you know, I really do want my higher power, and, you know, I know it's a little bit ahead, but, you know, my favorite part of the book is on page 55 where it talks about the great reality deep within us. Um, but, you know, that we have to find that. We have to find that place that we can finally trust. We can finally believe there is something for us and that we really aren't alone, and we really never have been, and I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Sue? Leah? Leah. I heard someone before Leah. Was it Sue? Yes. Okay. Lonnie? Sue, Sue, Leah, and then Lonnie. Go ahead, Sue. Good morning, and thank you for your service, and thanks for all the shares. Um, New levels of this are occurring to me. I look at my paragraph. It's all yellow. And the last sentence, what was our choice to be? That's in red. <laughs> I've got a stoplight on this one. And then I, I happen to glance up to the top of the page, we agnostics. And it dawned on me, it's probably as obvious to some other people, but we agnostics, we who do not know. And who are we agnostics? Guess what? It's all of us, every one of us, whatever kind of believer we are, we who do not know, we who can learn more and more to be humble. And are we perfectly humble? No. So we have to keep learning it more and more. We have to keep taking action. Yesterday, I went right into my one of my chief flaws, which is perfectionism, and I, I shared, and I did, I did the right thing. I I stopped before I talked for an hour, and then I left deeply disturbed because I thought, what did I say? That's not going to make sense to anybody. Oh, my God. And then, and it was bothering me, but I, I took some action about it, and I spoke to my sponsor, and she said, never worry. 
when you share, as long as you don't hog the time or, or hog the process, that something you said will affect somebody in a, in and probably somebody will will hear it in a positive way and that's that's all that's all you need to do so so then I got back to uh, a little bit more sanity and I, and I began rethinking this thing in a constructive way like what is this about for me instead of in that self-critical perfectionistic way and uh, and I began to think about my process again of coming into OA. And as I mentioned, I had a hole in my roof, and then I decided, well, I have a hole in my head. But how did I get to I have a hole in my head, and that's my eating disorder, and I need, I need help? It was by taking action about my roof. I took action. The roof was fixed. And within two weeks, we had a beautiful, beautiful new roof, very functional, no more squirrels running around in the attic. And, and life felt hopeful again. And I had taken action, which is what this program tells us to do. And I had another program that was telling me that. And I said, oh, okay, now it's time to journey to the next item on the powerlessness list. And that one is my food addiction. And unmanageable, well, having a a roof with water pouring in is pretty unmanageable. And I had just taken a simple action, call a roofer on the phone, and I felt better. Oh yeah. And time to time to do something else about my problem, about where am I a little bit crazy, which is really what that step two is about. And that that we're gonna be restored to sanity, we're gonna be restored to wholeness. I got a whole roof before I came here and now I'm gonna try to get whole about about a deep problem for me, much deeper than the roof. The roof is, you know, protecting me from the outside. But deep within is my eating disorder. And so I came. And again, my other program helped me because I'd worked with steps and traditions and the concepts in that fellowship. And steps and traditions are the same, except for the uh, where it mentions um, overeating or alcoholism. And, and there you just have to put your, your right word in there. So then um, I looked at something else. That then, is, then is now. I looked at um, tradition number two, and I think that tradition number two really helped me to move on through step two. And tradition number two says basically that there's, there is a God, in, and it's expressed in the group conscience in our fellowship. And, and that what is that about? Well, to me, that's about I'm in this fellowship, like yesterday, I chaired and then perfectionism came and I said, oh, imperfect, bad. But then then I remembered the group conscience, which is you can share, share for three minutes and share whatever pertains to this and that I just did that. And now I'm back and I have this experience of, of the, the God that's present with the group conscience. We have certain ground rules. Those are in the traditions, and when I try to play by them, I experience a serenity and a peace, and that reminds me of, of the God of my understanding now, of God, of, um, of I don't know, my parents' God, agnosticism. <laughs> and, and Thank you, all... Sue. Sue, we've, you've gone over your three minutes, and we've only got okay. a couple of minutes left. Thank you so very okay. much. And... Okay. Um, Leah, 
would you uh, take us out, please? Thank you, Melanie, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. Um, you know, that's, that's tough wording here. The big book is being very straight with me here. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, what? Uh, you know, uh, the big book is seeming to argue here that, um, you know, my inability to control my compulsive overeating is rooted in illness, not that uh, I play no role in developing this illness. <laughs> they are saying that I actually have a responsibility. This is self-imposed. My problems are of my own making. You know, the big book. Big Book is being very honest, very brutal right here, because it's no one else's fault by my, but myself. You know, we're imposing this crisis on ourselves. Why? Well, especially all of us who are gathered here today, the solution is obvious to us. There's all kinds of people here who are recovered who are saying, I had this problem and it's been solved, and you can do it too if you uh, implement these steps. So if you do not embark on this program of recovery and you continue to be crushed by your illness, yes, that is self-imposed. Yes, you are bringing that on yourself because, yes, we do have a responsibility in recovery. The big book is very blunt here. Uh, it goes on to say God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? So, again, this is black and white. There's no fallback position here. The big book is telling me I have a decision to make, and that decision is an act of my own will. Yes, it is, coming into alignment and saying, my way is not working, perhaps, perhaps, those who have recovered and are saying that there's a solution, and this book that's detailing it that there's a solution, perhaps I can decide to believe or at least be willing to believe in God, even though I have no concrete evidence and even though no particular feeling maybe about it. But even though, uh, you know, I don't have any feeling or certitude about it, am I willing to believe and I can make a decision without any knowledge or evidence or certainty or feeling about it? It says, what was our choice to be? The big book is giving an ultimatum here. It's being very, very straight, very blunt, very direct. What is my choice to be? There's no wiggle room right here. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And I'm sorry we have uh, reached the end of our time. And I would like to thank everyone who has shared. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Lauren, can you read for us from A Vision for You, please? Yes. Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. 
who shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. Thank you, Lauren.